You're listening to another episode of The Zag. Eric is up here, excited to bring back one of the NLCLA OGs. Emily Dokin is here from my class 2010. We'll talk about the good old days and where she's at in her life now. Can't wait. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Hi, Emily. Hello. So we actually just picked the fellows. We're going to let them know the invite soon. What do you remember about picking the 2011 class, which was your first class as Institute co-director? Oh, my goodness. Um, I remember, well, I actually wasn't as involved with the selection. Um, I was kind of scrambling to get everything else in place. So I had an awesome selection team responsible for that. But I just remember after meeting everybody, being so impressed at the level of range and diversity that was in that group. I mean, everyone was coming from different places. And then we saw over the course of the six months of the Institute that people were forming really special relationships. And I don't think that would have happened if we hadn't had such a diverse and um, well-rounded group of people. So I was just really impressed with how well the selections committee was able to to create that group. I actually don't remember all that that backstory before coming on board with you. So you and I did the fellowship. We end in June 2010. Mm-hmm. And then what, Jode and the board then asked you to come do it? And was there somebody else you were supposed to do it with? Is that what is that what happened? There was somebody else that was supposed to do it, be a co-director with me. Um, and she unfortunately just couldn't make it work. Uh, you know, we're all super busy. I think we all kind of, you know, as, as these, you know, uh, aggressive progressives, we tend to overcommit. And um, I think that that happened this time around. So I was so fortunate, Eric, to have you step in oh, nice. when you did. So what part of the year did you even ask me to do that? I'm trying to remember when that was. It was clo- pretty close to the to the deadline of, of selecting fellows. And I think that's why I knew it was actually um, Dante Atkins who was running right. that. So he just he was like, I've got this, which he totally did. And I was so grateful. It was funny, we were meeting with uh, the incoming 2018 co-directors. We were having a planning meeting, and they were asking about the good old days, how it was like back then. Uh, I think you and I talked about this too when you are in town, how kind of silly and bananas it was. Like I would come over to your house with my printer on a Friday night, and we'd just cram through every print job and trying to figure out what to do. Yes, because I did not own a printer at that time. And I still don't own my own printer. I, you know, live with somebody now and he he has a printer that I get onto every once in a while. But I remember when you were like, why don't you buy a printer? And I was like, I don't need one because you have one. (laughs) This guy keeps bringing his giant printer over. I know. You had a lot of cookware though. So I guess it was a fair, a fair trade. Yes, there Um, we go. But you're right about the 2011 class. I think that was surprising. I don't know, it was definitely surprising to me how how much they bonded. And I think it's still, it's hard not for them to be my favorites because it was the first one, but they really did seem to like each other. It was a pretty, pretty cool group. Yeah. And it was a really great mix of personalities to the point, you know, that some people, I think some people were a little, you know, shy, maybe more conservative coming out and others were just like out there, like all, all themselves and more. And I think that um, we got to see a really nice balance of sort of you know, and, and, and we got to see them figure it out as as they went along. It wasn't like it was perfect from day one, but I think we saw people really sort of, you know, take to each other and then kind of moderate each other in ways that was that was helpful, both in for people's personal development and professional development. And I think what's funny too is a lot of people don't realize many of the lasting traditions that they really like uh, were your ideas, even though I might try to not say they weren't not my idea, but... Ooh, like what? Well, the things that have still hung around, so the 
Gender Caucus is still around. Nice. A um, little more problematic in the name, but we've, you know, trying to figure out if there's another way to, to get at it. But people still like the the concept and like having that opportunity to hang out with folks who identify as a certain gender. Nice. Um, so that's good. People still love that. Um, people still love the red and green cards, which are actually the same cards that we flip over for the EOP questions. Oh, what do those mean? So we had that like consultancy protocol kind of jam where right. you would ask a question. And then it was your idea that to have them indicate they wanted to talk, they had a green construction paper card or a red construction paper card and they'd flip it up and over. Do you remember that? Nice. No, I don't. But I'm so glad that yeah. I had a great idea like that. And those are the actual <laughs> cards I think that you made. So they are still passed down. Year oh, to I year. made them? Okay, yeah, go you're me. Very talented. You're very talented. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of those things still hang around. Cats is still around. Uh, all those good things. That was your idea, though. That one hung in there. The tennis channel is still around, for better or worse. The tennis channel. Everybody loves that tennis <laughs> channel. Every time I see an advertisement for the tennis channel, I'm like, oh, the uh, tennis channel. I know what their offices look like. Yeah. Uh, we had some adventures this year with it, though. So like some years we know the people there and some years we don't. We just show up. <laughs> This is one of the years we just kind of showed up. And so we get there, this is probably third weekend in January 2017, and they're doing massive renovations. So there's all these construction workers there, the carpets are all torn up. Uh, it, was, oh, wow. it was a mess. So like, do we even stay? And then it happened that the guy who we maybe had talked to two or three years ago happened to be there. And so I had to like sweet talk him and, oh yeah, you didn't get my email about the thing and the play. <laughs> And so he was cool. He let us hang out. He's a, he's a big fan of Jaya, which helps. Um, so Jaya oh, yeah. is a good diplomat for that, for sure. Good. So then after you left LA, where did you where did you go? You went to DC, right? So after I left LA, I was in Colorado for about a year. I was working for Organizing for America, where I had been doing for um, just about two years in California. And I was asked to move to Colorado to set up the communications ground game for um, Obama in 2012. and. Um, and it worked. I got there in early 20. 20- hmm? And it worked. It worked. I got there early 2011. It was early in 2012 when I was like, I was exhausted. Um, you know, and I think what a lot of people don't realize about the Obama machine is that it was working just as hard in between elections as it did to get him reelected. And I had been in it for almost three years and I was as excited as I was about 2012. I think I learned, you know, a couple, I learned a lot of things during that time, but I learned that. I am not a natural born campaign person. I'm not, I, I can't, I can't deviate too much from my routine in terms of, you know, healthy eating and exercise. And they really did demand those things from you. Um, and also I was really excited to get to DC and I had a couple opportunities in front of me. So uh, I hightailed it out of Colorado and out of the campaign world before it got too into the thick of 2012, but I was there for just about a year. And then I went to DC and started working at the Peace Corps. And so what was your actual role there? You ran communications for them too, right? Yeah, I actually started out in press, uh, media relations, which is what I'd done. I'd done for OFA somewhat. That's how I started with OFA too. But I ended up doing media relations. um, So getting the press to show up to things and answering questions sort of as a press secretary role. Um, But then I also really enjoyed um, once I took on some of the digital work. So that was more along the lines of creating content. So helping people write blog posts, running the social media accounts. 
So when I got to the Peace Corps, I started out in press again and really missed the digital work. And I was lucky enough to be at the Peace Corps at a time when their needs for communications were really growing and expanding. So I kind of pitched my boss and we worked together that I would start a digital team at the Peace Corps. So I was the first digital director at the Peace Corps where I oversaw the social media, email marketing, and multimedia content. So photo and video production at the Peace Corps, which was amazing because the Peace Corps, you, you have so many amazing stories. Yeah. You have in, in, incredible historical information there um, in terms of, you know, photos and information about when it was started uh, back in the back in the 60s. And um, and the incredible stories that volunteers are sharing today. So I, I felt really, really lucky. I got to work with an amazing group of people there. Um, and I got to really shift my career from that media relations direction into digital communications. And is the Peace Corps as popular as ever? Is it on an upswing, downswing? How would you describe where it is? That's a great question. I think it's a really interesting place to be these days uh, with the current administration. I joked, you know, for the first few months, at least of the administration, that um, I wasn't sure they were aware that the Peace Corps was part of the federal government. I think they did figure it out eventually. Um, And I think it's, I think it remains this incredible beacon of what it means to be an American and what America strives for. I think um, people are afraid right now to be a representative of the United States internationally, um, especially in some of these more developing countries. There's a lot of confusion, you know, not just at home, but I think in the wider world about what the heck is happening here. Um, And I think, you know, I think that probably there are repercussions for all of our international agencies. So I'm not really sure where the where the numbers are today, but I know that the people who are still there are still out, you know, trying to recruit people to spread peace and friendship throughout the world. So then having worked for a service agency, would you ever or what would you see happening if somebody mandated a year of service at some point before you were 25? Oh my gosh, I would love that so much. I think that would be incredible. You know, shore up infrastructure for these volunteer, you know, agencies, AmeriCorps, Peace Corps, um, you know, treat volunteer service with, with with as much respect and and regard as we do military service. I think that that would be incredible. I, I would go serve for a year. You know, I don't, there should be no age limit. <laughs> Peace Corps has no upper age limit, FYI. So you can, you can be a volunteer at any time. Um, but I think that would be an incredible development for our country. And then after you left DC, you went back to Colorado or was there somewhere else in the middle? I returned to Colorado uh, at the beginning of this year in January, and uh, I actually did switch jobs while I was still in D.C. I uh, got uh, headhunted, which felt really special, um, and I went to work for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, which you know is which is a rare disease, cystic fibrosis, and is about as far away as you can get from uh, international development and volunteerism. <laughs> um, so it's definitely a switch, but I also think it's a, a testament to how people really need strong communication. Um, so if you can write, absolutely, if you can write, um, if you can tell a good story, if you can um, be passionate about a vision for how, um, you know, a program should be described or a disease should be described or a product can be sold, you can get a job um, because communications is a, is a very, very valuable skill. So I went to the CF Foundation and um, started doing similar work for them. 
Um, and when I was getting ready to move to Colorado for a relationship, I was prepared to, to leave the foundation because I was ready to move to a new city. And I actually um, ended up in what I think is a perfect situation professionally. Um, while I was in my, my digital engagement director role at the foundation, I, one of you know, the, my absolute favorite project was working on a virtual conference. Um, and it was a virtual conference for people with cystic fibrosis. And as a little bit of an aside, if you're not familiar with cystic fibrosis, it's a genetic disease, um, typically fatal. Um, the life expectancy used to be, you know, eight or nine years old. And because of a lot of the tremendous work that really the foundation and other uh, research organizations have done, the uh, median life expectancy now is 47. That was just announced at our national conference last week. Um, so, it, which means essentially that there are treatments out there that people can take and can do to alleviate uh, this buildup of mucus in the lungs, which is what happens, and, and also in the digestive system. So typical symptoms are a lot of coughing. Um, you have a hard time digesting foods. So you have to take enzymes with every meal, every time you want to eat. Um, and then eventually the mucus builds up in your lungs and it, it can't clear bacteria like healthy lungs can. So bacteria that you and I with healthy lungs might be able to clear, a person with cystic fibrosis um, cultures that bacteria, which uh, eventually leads to lung damage, um, uh, inflammation, and um, in really severe cases, lung failure. Um, and the the wild thing about cystic fibrosis is that because it is a lung disease, uh, there is a concern about cross-infection. So naturally, people with CF have to be very careful about germs, you know, keep their hands clean, not, you know, come into a lot of physical contact with other people in general. But when it comes to two people with CF, they, um, because of these concerns about cross-infection, and har they each harbor different types of bacteria in their lungs based on where they live and where they've been, um, there's a concern that one person, you know, if they cross-infect another person with CF, the bacteria that they are infected with could kill them um, because the bacteria can be so dangerous and deadly to people with the disease. So there's a, a guideline that says that people with CF are not supposed to come within six feet of one another, which is, you know, first and you know, first of all, you, you rarely hear about that kind of um, guideline for a for a medical condition. Um, but can you imagine? living with a fatal disease and not being able to interact and relate in, in person with people who share your experience. So for me, when I first learned that about CF, it was, it was devastating, but it was also this incredible challenge, you know, for somebody who, you know, I, I pride myself on building communities and sharing information and, and bringing people support and joy through my work. And so the, 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 the sort of challenge of that for me was very appealing so that's all a long way of saying that I um, worked on this virtual conference. We we piloted a virtual conference in 2016 for adults with cystic fibrosis to bring them together, you know, face to face over the internet. Um, and it wasn't easy, uh, but we managed to stitch together a couple of pieces of technology and it, the the feedback from people who attended, we had um, you know almost 200 attendees, was tremendous. I mean, they loved it. A lot of them had never met an, another person person with cystic fibrosis, and um, a lot of people said that we changed their life. And for me, that was so powerful. I was kind of like, eh, forget social media. I want to do this. <laughs> um, so when I changed, uh, when I moved to Denver, I um, was actually able to change jobs and join this program. Um, so now I'm working on this program on on some really exciting uh, communications and technology projects. 
That's awesome. When we come back, I want to ask you a few questions about Denver. Uh, so stay tuned. You're listening to The Zag. All right. I feel like everybody is moving to Denver. Is that true? Is literally yes. everybody, is everybody there right now? It is now? true, but stop coming here. <laughs> it does seem like a lot. So why, what is the big draw right now? Is it certain industries? Is it marijuana? Is it the weather? Like what is what is happening? I think people see Denver, you know, in relation to the other cities, the other big cities out there, San Francisco, New York, LA, I think they see Denver as uh, less expensive, which it, it definitely is less expensive, but it's getting more it's expensive. Changing. Yeah, it seems like it's going I th- up. I think, um, you know, for me, and one of the things I really didn't understand until I got here is the lifestyle is so different. Um, and I, I'm, I'm definitely coming from, you know, Washington, D.C. and comparing it to a very sort of East Coast mentality. And it's sort of hard to describe if you haven't experienced it yourself. But, you know, the East Coast, you kind of, you know, it's the who do you work for? What do you do? You know, are you important enough for me to pay attention to? Um, people are extremely professionally driven. Um, there's a lot of the like, you know, wanting to have it all kind of mentality. And I think that that's great. And and if that fulfills people, fantastic. But I got out here and people aren't, don't really care who you work for. (laughs) You know, they're more interested in what you do with your free time. They're more interested in the things that excite you than they are in, you know, what you do for your day job. Um, the quality of life is outstanding. I mean, every chance I get, I go outside even today, you know, it's a little cold today, but it's sunny. We have 300 days of sun in Denver. Um, so I think a combination of all of those things. It's it's also a great food town. I think a lot of people don't know that. There's really great food yeah, out here. Food. And if you need to get to the ocean, it's just an hour from Los Angeles by plane. That's a good point. So how, <laughs> how are folks in Denver trying to hang on to all the things you just described as, as good as so many people show up? Like from an urban, urban planning standpoint, how do you hold the line? Yeah, it's. I think that's the big question. I think a lot of people, it's interesting, we just had some local elections, uh, like a lot of people did. And we've got some big races coming up in 2018, uh, for governor in particular. And a lot of people are running on this, you know, I'm going to manage Denver's growth, you know, sort of platform, and I'm going to help manage Colorado's growth. Um And, you know, I think that means different things to different people. So, you know, for me, I'm really lucky I work from home. I I don't have to commute. And I think that makes a big difference in my quality of life as well. Um, I think there needs to be a lot of work done in terms of transportation infrastructure. We have a pretty good light rail system, um, but the the setup for the cars uh, is not so good. We need we need wider roads. We need more encouragement of of biking. Um, I've done a little bit of biking, road biking out here, but it is kind of scary because th- where there are bike lanes, it's great, and where where there aren't, it's kind of scary. Um, so yeah, I think that there are a lot of different ways. We are also seeing a lot of development. I, I think. There was a, there was a lot of construction, and I, I don't know how good it is, but just there were neighbor neighborhoods all over that are seeing these sort of like new. We have like a Denver sort of style, which I don't really love, <laughs> of like condos, yeah. um, and um, you know, and gentrification is a huge issue here. So it's it's I, I I don't see things necessarily getting better on that front, but I hope more responsible people move here and are into their neighborhoods. And would you say the state in general is? progressive i always feel like it it seems to to flip every other year people are either fired up for conservative causes and then they swing back the other way how would you describe it i think it depends where you are i mean this is very sort of general knowledge on my part but um you know we have our pockets of progressivism which are denver and boulder um and then maybe a little bit fort collins and 
some of the foothill towns, and then you get to different parts of the state where people have a really different experience. Um, there is a lot of ranching. There is a lot of sort of natural resource related employment in other parts of the state. Um, you know, and then you have your teeny tiny like ski towns and mountain towns, which are also super progressive. But I think it, I think it depends how, you know, where you grew up um, and where you're living and what your livelihood is. Um, but it's, it's attention for sure. And last thing, give me the scoop. I feel like you're always plugged into cool stuff, whether like podcasts or things we should be reading or looking at. Any any plugs people should check out? Oh my goodness. Well, I do love um, Call Your Girlfriend. It's a great podcast what by two about? wonderful women, Ann Friedman and Aminatou So. I listen to that pretty religiously. Um, I've also really been getting into um, uh, approaches to body work and manual therapy recently. This might be like now the West, you know, the West Coast girls coming back out now that I'm out West, but um really interested in um, the ways that we can pay attention to our bodies and be uh, body mindful, I like to think of it as, um, in terms of uh, being having ways to sort of like calm our brains is really by paying attention to our bodies because they are one and the same. So there's a great podcast that's actually ended. Um, it's called, oh my gosh, what's it called? Uh... I mean, you're going to have to ask, you're going to have to edit this because I don't remember. It's only organic. There's no editing. (laughs) But um, yeah, stuff, stuff like that. Uh, Doing a lot of yoga, just trying to be good to my body and my mind out here, out here in the big great West. Nice. We miss you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for being an OG NLC person. One of the originals. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is delightful. Anytime. And for those listening at home. Make sure to download all of these ag episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play store, SoundCloud, on our website. They're everywhere. We'll have more podcasts for you next week. Thanks for listening. 